Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. I am your host, Christy Haberman. I am glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our community. A few disclaimers before we get started. I am a licensed therapist. However, this podcast is not to be considered mental health therapy or counseling. It is for entertainment purposes only and is not associated with my counseling practice, Christy Haberman Counseling Services. Thanks for showing up. Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. This is your host, Christy Haberman. This is episode eight. I can't believe it that we've gotten this far in our exploration of the grief of a grieving mother. And this is episode three of our deep dive into guilt and the guilt that we feel as a grieving parent and especially as a grieving mother. So in our previous episodes, I talked about how we need to understand our grief and how we need to understand the role of guilt in our grief. We explored the different types of guilt. There's survivor's guilt. There's guilt that we feel over the role that we had or that we think we played in the death of our children. There's the guilt that we feel about moving on past the death of our child. There's the guilt, that feeling like we just didn't do enough. And then I did an episode about exploring what in your background, in your life experiences, is contributing to your feelings of guilt. And why it was important to know and understand that. Because we are the sum total of our life experiences. And whether we like it or not, our life experiences shape who we are and what we are about. And a lot, I ask my clients to do this a lot as a counselor to examine their, their family histories, to learn their family patterns. And they get really upset at me and say, oh, my parents did the best they could. And it's really, it's not about that. It's about learning how those experiences shaped you, how they impacted your personality and how they impacted who you are today. And I can tell you that my own experiences through the guilt of losing a child has really made me look at the guilt or the judgment I have towards other people very differently. I find that I don't judge people nearly as much because I took this deep dive into my own feelings of guilt and started to realize that some of my choices and behaviors are very much a part of um, how I experienced life. So then we talked about in the lap episode, episode about the importance of exploring your guilt. Sometimes it's so hard, especially in the beginning, to even acknowledge that we feel guilty. It's kind of like you touch it and it's like, ouch, I don't want to look at that. Ouch, ouch. Other people pick at it. If you're one of these people that ruminates, I'm a ruminator. A ruminator is someone that goes over it and over it over it and over it it can almost become obsessive so if you're one of those people there's a technique called the stop technique 
And in the stop technique, you just tell your brain to stop and forcibly change the thought process. And if that's what you need to do in order to stop obsessing, then practice the stop. The other thing that you need to start practicing is radical self-acceptance. What I mean by radical self-acceptance is, is that you accept yourself in all areas. I hear people say, well, of course I accept myself. And then you probe a little bit and they're like, well, yeah, I accept that I am who I am, but I'm going to be 10 pounds lighter. Well, I will accept who I am when I get that PhD. Or I'll accept when I, who I am when I have red hair, blonde hair, or when I have a tan, or I look beautiful. Radical self-acceptance is at your messiest, coarsest part of yourself, sobbing. That in those moments, that's when you accept yourself. That you, that you accept that you are who you are. It means accepting your mistakes that you think you made. It means accepting what you look like. What's been the hardest part to accept for myself is how much the death of my son has changed me. And it's been really hard to accept that. I used to have a really dry sense of humor, and I laughed a lot. I don't really laugh anymore. I don't really have a sense of humor anymore. I get told I'm negative. (laughs) Well, you know, the joy left my world when my son died. And it's hard. It's hard looking at that and, and mourning the person I was once was because I would like to not care but I do I care deeply you know when you kind of you feel powerless over that change too because I don't know if I could I don't find things funny anymore so I have to accept who I am now the person that I am now And I have to accept that there are people that have left my life because they can't accept who I am now. And that's not on me. That's on them. On them. Because I can't be who they want me to be. So you have to practice this radical self-acceptance. Grief has taught me that I am powerless over so many things. I am powerless over whether or not my son was going to be ill. I was powerless over the fact that my son was going to die. I was powerless over how people were going to react to my son's dying. And I was powerless over how I reacted. This whole thing about grief has been realizing that I was powerless and accepting that I was powerless. And I've always considered myself an independent, independent woman until I wasn't. The other thing that grief has taught me is to be alone. 
I've learned to keep my own counsel. I used to be the person that something happened, I had to talk to someone. Talking has always been my coping mechanism. Probably why I started this podcast. But I don't have people I can talk to anymore about Chris dying. I don't have friends that I can pick up the phone and call like I used to. Because no one wants to listen. And so I spend a lot of time being lonely. Last week was Easter. Thinking about all the families that got together. Having Easter dinner, Easter egg hunts. Family dinners. All the things that I don't have anymore. Because my son died. You know, that that destroyed our family. Extended and otherwise. But there have been some real gifts with the grief. One of the grief, gifts is being able to be alone in my grief. I have learned to be alone. And I am stronger for it. I can go to a restaurant and have dinner by myself. I can go to a movie by myself. I can do a lot of things by myself. I am so much more compassionate since my son died. So much more. And I was a compassionate person before he died. I'm even more compassionate now. But I also have less tolerance. Have less tolerance for people. That is not necessarily a bad thing. And I have better boundaries. So those are the first few things. Radical self-acceptance. Accepting that you're powerless. So there's a book out there. Albert Ellis was a famous psychologist, and he does this theory called reality therapy. And in reality therapy, it's about teaching people to accept the reality of the situation. So Albert Ellis says we create our own discomfort when we must and should Those beliefs that people must do something or they should do something are the ones that drive us the most crazy. Because what you're doing is you're driving yourself, your own feelings by having that belief system. So anytime you're musting on something, you're trying to get the world to conform to your beliefs. So when you put out there, they must understand my grief, you're driving your own discomfort by believing that they must. So you use a technique called disputing. And so the way you dispute something is, I would like the world to understand my grief. It's okay if they don't. 
I would like the world to understand my grief, but I am okay if they don't. That's called disputing. Now, shooting is when, and people do this to themselves all the time, you should do the right thing. You should always do the right thing. And shooting is another way that we are creating our own upsetness, angry, frustration, those kind of feelings. And when we're saying to ourselves, they should understand how I feel. They should understand my grief. Well, the reality is, is that no one can understand your grief because they don't walk in your shoes. We all have our own life experiences that contribute to how we experience our grief. And that is the important thing. If you want to understand someone else's grief, you need to understand their life experiences. And who do you know that will take the time to do that? So when you're shooting on yourself, you dispute that by saying, I would like them to know my grief. I would like them to know. But it's okay if they don't. And I think that's one of the struggles that I see most often in my support groups and on Instagram and on Facebook and for the grieving mothers that I interact with is that we all seek understanding. We all seek understanding from the people around us. And up till a few years ago, talking about grief was very taboo. So when I first lost my son in 2011, it was not nearly as acceptable to talk about grief. Not like it is now. It has become much more acceptable to talk about our grief. But I have had, and we've talked about this in other episodes, I still have people, I experienced it last week again, when I was talking to somebody, and all I said was, well, maybe the death of my son changed me that much. And that um, other person, you know, just could kind of see him shudder. It was like, oh. You too, you know, you too can't talk about it. It's just kind of sad. So that person got moved to possible friend to acquaintance. I've become picky about my friends. See, and that's an option that I don't think we really explore very much in our grief. Because we, we hope that the people of our past come forward with us. And that doesn't always happen. And if you consider that, how much of you actually remains after the death of your children? I would say that I only brought 10% of my personality forward. The rest of it is still stuck back there in the past, where I used to be where parts of me still are. Probably the parts that people enjoyed the the most. 
I always put other people first. Always. You could call and talk to me for hours and I would listen to you. I, you know, and I'd give you support and, you know, I had to quit that after my son died. I didn't have the energy for that. And that's another thing they don't talk about in grief is how your energy gets so depleted. I do not have the emotional energy, or I call it the emotional bandwidth, to deal with a lot of things. You bring drama to my life, you're going to be exiting as fast as you walked into it. I just don't, there's just no place for it. I just don't have time for it. It's so unimportant. And the people that knew me from my past, that's going to be unexpected. Well, you were always there for me. You're right, I was. But I'm not anymore. I had to practice being selfish. I just couldn't. And as a result, there are people that have been left behind. For those of you that have experienced a trauma with the death of your children, I highly encourage you to try doing somatic therapies. And I would recommend doing EMDR. And I've talked about this in a couple other sessions, but you have to go to a licensed professional counselor or psychologist or social worker. It will be well worth it. As I talked about in the last episode is when you experience the trauma. And I maintain that... (laughs) that every death of a child is traumatic. Your brain gets frozen, gets frozen in that moment in time and no new information can come in. And as a result, your brain is always stuck in that freeze mode. And in order to unfreeze it, you need to do EMDR, Yoga helps, massage therapy helps, but I think all of them together. Because you're never going to, you're never, nothing is ever going to make you forget your child. And I've heard that over and over and over again from grieving mothers is that there's this fear that if they work on their guilt or, or their grief or if they give it up or stop feeling guilty, that they somehow given up on their child. And unfreezing your brain just helps your brain have the ability to adapt. That is all. And you you move into healthy coping. And what does healthy coping from grief look like? It looks like that you can have a memory of your child and have it not derail you for the whole day. There still are times though, anniversaries, holidays, bad dreams for me that derail me in my grief, but it's better. It is better. And the cognitive ability to work with it 
I would have never been able to do this podcast without doing EMDR because I felt so guilty. I felt like I didn't have anything to share, which is actually not the case because I'm in a unique position where I'm, I have trained as a therapist and I've also lost a child. It gives me a unique perspective. It's not better or worse than anyone else's. It's just unique. And when I would talk about it, I would have people tell me, if not you, who? If it wasn't going to be you that did it, who would do it? And that kind of became my mantra. But until I did the EMDR, I would not have been able to do this. Because my brain was stuck in such a trauma state. I had a friend ask me if doing this podcast is making my grief worse. I've noticed over this last week um, that I've been struggling a little bit more, but I really think it's more due to Mother's Day coming up. Mother's Day is always tough. Always. And there's always so much I miss. And I miss him every day. So some other ways to cope with your with your grief is I would recommend in creating a music playlist. Music has always been my way to communicate with Christopher. I have songs that I use that to convey a message. And I just choose to believe that he is saying those things to me, like I miss you. I created a memorial Facebook. I use that quite a bit. Post messages to him, and I believe that he reads Facebook in heaven. And I think about what he would say to me if he knew I was feeling guilty. And I 100% know he would say that it was not my fault. And that he would say that I was better off finding out that he died in, at a home in South Dakota instead of Louisiana, where I would have had no support. I know he would have said all these things. And this is where the acceptance comes in. Is that you accept that those things are true. You can't second guess yourself. You have to trust You have to trust yourself and trust the relationship you had with the deceased. So even if you have had a baby and the baby died, there was a bond that formed with that baby. That baby felt all the love that you had to share with that. It shared your blood, shared your energy field, and it knew you loved it. And you have to trust that. And you have to trust that even a baby in heaven knows that it, that you loved it. It bothers me to say it, but boy, girl, 
They know you love them. And those are the things that you have to trust and that you have to accept. Because the key to healing is creating a bond with your deceased child that lasts beyond the physical. So one of the things that Christopher's friends did that was so horrible is they put on my, um, they told me I was a bad mother. And they had all kinds of reasons why I was a bad mother. They actually said it to me. I wish that it weren't true, but it was. And I had to trust. I mean, so at first I accepted that what they said was true. I think it took me a year before I got to the point where I realized that I had to trust what I knew about Christopher, about what kind of man he was, what what kind of integrity he had, and what kind of person he, he was. And my son was very definitely the strong and silent type. He also did not talk bad about people. He never would have. So why would I accept that he talked bad about me? He did, He wouldn't have. Not at all. He might have said wish. He might have said he wished things were different, but he would have never talked bad about me. So you. Ha- so you see how I took what I knew about him and used it to dispute what those people were saying. That's what you got to do with grief. And with the loss of a child, there are these people out there, I know there is in your life, that are giving you messages that somehow you coulda, woulda, shoulda done something different. And you have to dispute those. And you have to work at it. And you have to dispute those beliefs and replace them the ones of your own. And I no longer believe that what his friend said is true. I know differently because they didn't know Christopher like I knew him and he was not that type of man. So I think I'm done with this topic about guilt. I was going to try to go up to Mother's Day, but I think I've had enough talking about it. Thank you for listening. Join my community over on Instagram, Facebook, my website, Christy Haberman Counseling. Like and subscribe to our episodes. If you could rate my rate my podcast, that really helps me out. Thank you for listening. I'd like to hear your stories. I'd like to hear comments about what you think about what I say. If you have questions, reach out to me at grievinginsomniacs at gmail.com. This is your host, Christy Haberman, signing off for tonight.